Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Green Mountain Dental Group. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, today we're going to be talking through a couple more previews, uh, just like we've been doing the last couple of days and just like we're going to keep doing the next couple of days. Uh, we are talking about one Pac-12 team, uh, everything that we need to know about that team going into this season, and then uh, jumping into a Buffs position. Uh, pretty excited for today. Uh, because we are talking about one of the one of the teams that is hardest to project in the Pac-12 this year, and that's Utah. Um, obviously, one of the top teams in the Pac-12 last year, one of the best teams in the country last year. But there have been a lot of changes inside that program, and uh, we're going to talk about that stuff here in a second. After I tell you more about Green Mountain Dental Group, Green Mountain Dental is the place to go for all of your dental needs. Uh, whether you need something simple like uh, teeth cleaning or whether you need something serious like getting your wisdom teeth out like our sales director Lindsay did a couple of months ago, Green Mountain Dental is the place to go. It's a family-owned dentistry out in Lakewood, about 15 minutes away from downtown Denver. It's super convenient. They're good people. They're diehard Colorado sports fans. And uh, they're also partners of ours at DNVR. And supporting our partners is supporting us. Uh, the best part about Green Mountain Dental is that if you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you can get yourself a free Sonicare toothbrush. Uh, it's a great deal. Again, this is only a Green Mountain Dental Group, a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, and you can get yourself a free Sonicare toothbrush. All right. Um, so, Utah. They were really good last year, and I think we have to start there. Um, when the Buffs played them in the last game of the season, uh, Utah was ranked number six in the country. Uh, after that game, they went on to play Oregon, lost to Oregon, and uh, didn't make it to the uh, college football playoff like they really could have. Uh, ended up losing to Texas in a bowl game as well. Uh, the Alamo Bowl, that's which one it was. Um, and at that point, they were ranked number 12 in the country. So, despite going 11-3 last year and 8-1 and in the Pac-12, there are a lot of reasons to think that this Utah football team won't be as good in 2020 as it was in 2019. Uh, to st start, they're only bringing back two defensive starters. 
Um, pretty much everybody is gone. Uh, like I said, you know, Colorado played him in the last game of the season in Salt Lake. Uh, I was there, and it was senior day, and boy, did that take a while to get through. So many really talented football players were on that team. Um, it's actually kind of crazy just to think about it. I, mean, I think they had six or seven players drafted, maybe four um, in the top three rounds, four in the top 100. Uh, so that's really impressive. To be honest, though, I wouldn't be surprised if 2021 is the first year since 2008 that Utah doesn't have a player drafted. And there are a couple of reasons for that. The big reason is that they don't have many seniors on the team. Uh, just looking through this offense, or yeah, through this team quickly, um, one senior on offense. Uh, that's uh, the center, Orlando Umana. Um, defensively, they'll have two seniors. Um, neither of them started for Utah last year, uh, both on the defensive line. So it really does look like this is going to be a down year for Utah. Um, the year after, you know, 2021, that's where you could start to see them have another year like 2019 when they were a very experienced team, um, when they had All-Americans at a few different positions. Um, because even though this Utah team isn't the most experienced, they still do have some talent. It isn't necessarily the type of talent that you expect to leave after this year, though. Um, you look at guys like the tight end, Brant Keithy, who is very athletic. Uh, you'll remember in the Colorado game, he got an end around out of a heavy package and took it up the sideline, picked up like 30 yards, 35 yards, got brought down right in front of the end zone, wound up scoring a touchdown uh, just a couple plays later, uh, catching the ball, um, lines up all over the formation. Um, he's like the tight end version of Visca, but, you know, a guy who's a year away from being a late round draft pick instead of a guy like Visca who was so talented that he left school a year early and was a second round draft pick. Um, Keithy's a fullback as well. He does a bunch of different things. Um, honestly, one of my favorite players in the Pac-12. He was a second team Pac-12 tight end last year. Um, and he's going to be an important part of that offense. Outside of Keithy, it's going to be interesting to look at what they actually have. Um, should say Cole Fotheringham, uh, another good tight end for Utah. Uh, I'd expect to see a lot of two tight end sets, but the weird thing is they kind of want to run a spread offense. As crazy as that sounds, given what we know about the identity of Utah kind of being that power football Um when you lose the pieces that they lost last year, um, even just on the offensive side of the ball, where they're still bringing back seven starters, you lose somebody like Zach Moss, who was one of the best running backs in the country um, and is now with the Buffalo Bills. He was hurt, but he was splitting time with Devin Singletary as their number one running back in Buffalo. Um, they, they lose their quarterback, Tyler Huntley, who maybe wasn't, the greatest pro prospect, but I thought was a very good college quarterback. He made a lot of good decisions 
And, you know, in, in the way that sometimes Steven Montez made it feel like everything was really hard, like it's really hard to move an offense down the field, for Tyler Huntley, things just looked easy. It was so calm, so relaxed. It was just like the game was slow for him. He could step up in the pocket, plus he had the athleticism to run if you overextended yourself. Now they have Jake Bentley, who's uh, going to Utah from South Carolina. He mo- missed most of last year with a foot injury. Not all that exciting of a prospect. You know, he's a four-star going into college. He's now a redshirt senior. Um, I think they're just, oh, he's he's just kind of a quarterback who's going to be back there. Um, he makes some mistakes. He has a good enough arm. He's average or a- accurate enough. Um, decent athlete, not somebody who you're like scared of, but he's a decent athlete. Um, and, and maybe he can run an air raid offense and uh, not an air raid offense, uh, more spread type offense going through progressions, reading the field. Um, it's a big question mark though. And that is of course, like it's the quarterback that is going to be one of the big questions for Utah this season is what actually is Jake Bentley this year? Is he just a stopgap so that they don't have a lull in recruiting during this one year that, you know, it's tough to call it a down year because I do think that there's a good chance that Utah finishes top two in the Pac-12 South. Um, I think it's almost 50-50 between them and Arizona State for second in, like, the my preseason power rankings, I guess, of the Pac-12. Um, and the reason is just that it is a very well-run program. You know, jumping back to that Colorado game last year, Colorado was in it. Colorado started well. Um, Utah tied the game at seven, pretty girly five minutes maybe into the second quarter. Um, And the reason that happened was that Davion Taylor got into the backfield, got his hands on Tyler Huntley, the quarterback, and couldn't bring him down. And on that same play, after he brushed off the tackler, Huntler, or Huntley found a receiver in the end zone 30 yards downfield, 40 yards downfield, scored a touchdown, tied the game up. That's a game-changing play. Um, a few minutes later, later in the second quarter, uh, the Buffs gave up a big punt return. They got almost to the 25, I want to say, right around the 30 maybe, and they uh, kicked a field goal as time expired to put them up 10 points before the half. So those 10 points, the difference, you could pretty easily just put those on the buffs and the mistakes that the buffs made, not bringing down Huntley on the sack and giving up the big return. Well, guess what? Later in the game, the, uh, Utah scored on a punt return. They brought it all the way back. So all of a sudden, that's 17 points you started, spotted them. And the fourth quarter, it was a, what, 24-point game? I'm not sure if they ever pulled it within 17. What was the final? 45-15, so it finished being a 30-point game. But things could have been very, very different in that game. But just the mistakes. But those are the things that good programs manage well. They have good special teams. They don't blow tackles. Because that wasn't the only time that Huntley brushed off a sack either. That happened over and over again. Plus, he changed the angles so that the buffs wouldn't have a lane to touch him um he just moved around the pocket really well and got out of the pocket well as well so with him gone I do think that some things change but 
there were a lot of reasons that Colorado lost this game. You know, the Colorado gave up five sacks on their end, and it easily could have been a wash. It could have been five sacks each way. That was one of the better defensive game plans that the Buffs had all season. They were getting guys into the backfield. They were kind of making Tyler Huntley work. It wasn't just a clean pocket. It wasn't him doing whatever he wanted. He did have to think about where the rush was coming from and how to change those angles while he's trying to look downfield. He's really good at that, and so it didn't always impact him, but the Buffs' game plan was pretty good. It's just that the execution and the mistakes were too much to overcome, as you would expect against a team that at the time was ranked as the number six team in the country. So while you can look at the loss of Zach Moss and look at the loss of Tyler Huntley and say, wow, this offense has kind of lost its identity, you have to remember that a lot of the team's identity doesn't come from individual players. It comes from playing good, clean football. That's one of the reasons that Kyle Whittingham has been at Utah, the head coach, for 16 years now. Uh, I'm pretty sure only two coaches have been there or at the school that they're coaching at longer. Uh it's uh, it's tough. But then you look at the defense. Let's look at the defense. Um, like I said, Steven Montez was under duress all day. And you know what? He didn't handle it perfectly. Um, there were times when he looked flustered in the way that Tyler Huntley, there's almost this patience to his game. You know, there was an option play in particular that stands out. Um, he rolls out, running back is behind him, waiting to decide whether to pitch. Pitch slows down a little bit, isolates the defender, waits the defender to commit, just flips the ball out, looks so calm, so casual, and it's just a nice, easy, well-executed play. On a similar play, Steven Montez on a third down rolls out of the pocket. There's a receiver outside. It isn't a designed option play, but Montez like runs up the field a little bit, gets the line of scrimmage, throws it out there, misses the guy. It just Those are the details that... Utah at this point in where the program is at executes and the buffs haven't been able to execute. Um, in Steven's defense, they were beating him up quite a bit. Um, it was a rough day for the offensive line. Um, and I think what makes it so frustrating is that Utah really didn't have to blitz all that much to create pressure for the most part. In their 4-2-5 defense, it's pretty much just a pure nickel. They do have like that nickelback defender. I'm not sure what they call it, um, but it is kind of that 4-3, but the, one of the outside linebackers is kind of just a cornerback. Um, pretty standard type of college football defense. And uh, they, for the most part, were able to just bring their four guys up front and create pressure. Um, I'm trying to find, oh, here we go. Uh, so 19 passing attempts, oh, 24 dropbacks. Um, when Steven Montez was not blitzed 10 dropbacks where Steven was blitzed. So I guess maybe those numbers aren't as out of line as I probably expected. I did kind of think they would be more like 29 and five, but uh, you know, it. that was a really good defensive line. That may have been the best defensive line in the country. Uh, two All-Americans, uh, more, another guy, pack, all Pac-12. Um, all of them in the NFL, though, um, which 
again, that was kind of their identity. Three guys are now in the NFL. Um, they have good talent that's coming up behind those three, but they haven't proven it yet. And they're still young up front. They're young pretty much everywhere. And so it might take some time until those guys are at the best of their abilities. And even when that happens, the odds of them having two All-Americans in that group again is pretty slim. Um, The secondary. The secondary was beat up as well. Um, You know, Terrell Burgess, uh, Jalen Johnson, who's tearing it up with the Bears right now. Uh, Who else was there? Um, Oh, Julian Blackman. Uh, Josh Nurse is gone. Um, Tariq Lewis, they lost pretty much their entire secondary, and two or three of them got drafted. I know three of them are in the NFL now. That's a... That's another big question mark is what is this secondary? Because this defense, which was probably the best defense in the Pac-12, it was built in a very classic style of defense where you have a great secondary where you can line up and just stop the opposing receivers and you have a defensive line that can get you a pass rush. If you have those two things, that's going to solve a lot of problems for you defensively. Well, now both those things for Utah are in question. And, you know, Steven had a pretty good day, all things considered. Uh, finished 17-26, not great. 157 yards, not great. But all things considered, I mean, what? The, his passer rating would have been 107.4 in terms of the NFL rating. I don't mess around with that college rating too much just because it's so weird um you know there were some bright spots Daniel Arias was a bright spot um let's talk about Julian Blackman who's now playing in the NFL well Daniel Arias was lined up one-on-one with him ran a fade route down the sideline and uh Steven dropped a ball in Arias made the play and it was a really really big play so I I don't know where to put this Utah team. You know, it, there's a whole bunch of uncertainty. It's tough to say that they're going to be worse than an Arizona State team that was a little bit streakier last year, but has more talent that you would bank on at this point. But is that even really true? When I say it out loud, I'm just not so sure. Because Arizona State does have guys who you'd expect to get drafted this year. But it's not like they're elite-level guys. And the difference with Utah is that they just don't have guys who are so talented that they're going to leave for the draft a year early. Um, Plus, it's not all about those sorts of questions. Um, Sometimes it's just about whether you get your scheme implemented and whether everybody executes their jobs. And that's something that Utah is better at than everybody else. Um, Colorado, uh, they did have one of their best games. And in going back and watching that, that was very obvious. Um, that defense was very well put together in that game. Um, so you still have this big question that's looming over all of it, though, which is how much of that is Tyson Summers, the defensive coordinator, and how much of that was Mel Tucker, the head coach. And I've talked to sources, and I've heard people put the, I don't know, credit on both of their names, one or the other, but from both sides. 
so we'll see. We'll see what it actually looks like. Um, but I don't see Utah just being a dumpster fire. I will say that. Um, because even when you look at that offensive line, they only lose one piece. Sure, it's still a young group, but when you bring back four starters, and last year you had Zach Moss at running back put up incredible numbers, um, over 1,400 yards, uh, over 17 total touchdowns, um, and that was good enough to be a second-team All-American at running back. You don't do that alone. And if you're only losing one piece of the offensive line, you got to expect a pretty solid running game, especially when you could make a very good case that their two best offensive players are their two tight ends. Um, deep group of receivers haven't seen a lot of um, really any of them. Um, yeah, nothing you really have to say there. Something like maybe 14 starts among all the receivers, which isn't bad, but question marks for sure. Um, I think that pretty much sums it up. Utah is a tough team. Um, they aren't going to roll over. Um, you know, Nephi Sewell, the Penne Sewell, Noah Sewell, other brother, is now at Utah. He transferred. I can't remember where he transferred from. But... Um, Questions, big ones, do you have a quarterback? Do you have a running back? And is this defense still a top three defense in the Pac-12, which is what you need it to be? You don't need it to be the best defense again, but you do need it to be right up there if they're going to be competing for a Pac-12 title. Unless, you know, Jake Bentley really does surprise. I can't speak for everybody and say surprise everybody, but surprise me because he is a pretty average quarterback who – doesn't scare you with his legs the way that Tyler Huntley did. Doesn't scare you with the pocket presence even the way Tyler Huntley did, um, or at least the way Tyler Huntley did against Colorado. So, yeah. Um, Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of DNVR. Uh, it really is a great beer. Um, they, they make the Avalanche Amber Ale, the Vanilla Porter Jr. Um, so many good beers, and there are always more coming out. It seems like forever ago that we first got the Colorado core, uh, which was my favorite for a while. It's the one that we always say is like, a, it's like a mix of a cider and a beer and a champagne, just a kind of strange thing, but so good. And uh, I'm really craving one of those. It's another one of those beers that I would love to have before it gets too cold out. It is getting kind of like chilly in the morning. I have to move my car like every two hours because of the way the city of Denver works. And those uh, 9 a.m. walks outside are now like in the 50s, which isn't the end of the world, but it is starting to get chilly. And it makes you realize that the weather isn't going to stay like this forever. Um, Try the Colorado Core. Try the Hot Peak IPA, the Strawberry Sky. So many good beers. And uh, if where if you want to try one of them and you know which one you want to try, go to the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website and they'll tell you where you can pick up whatever beer it is that you do want to try. Um, Costco, King Supers, most liquor stores. There's so many options. Uh, you can come down to the DNVR bar as well. Uh, but make sure you uh, get what you're trying to get by jumping on 
to uh, the Breckenridge Beer Locator. Uh, also, the farmhouse is open. That is like the restaurant at the brewery. It's a really cool facility. Um, it's like $36 million or something they spent on like all this, like, I mean, where they brew all the beer. Um, they had to bring in like German people to do, uh, I don't even understand, but it was a crazy amount of effort and it's paying off of the beer, but also they serve a lot of food and the farmhouse is so cool. Um, it really is good food. Um, it's a cool space outside. Um, it's down in Littleton. It's also socially distanced and beautifully set up for outside dining. So take advantage of that while you can, while the weather's still good. Um, and again, jump on that Breckenridge beer locator. Uh, also want to give a shout out to our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. And uh, it's a big time for all of us sports bettors. Week three of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four. There's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of week four, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. That's right. You can place a $1 bet on any team, and if that team wins, you cash a cool Benjamin. How could you pass that up? Don't worry if football isn't for you. DraftKings is giving all of you basketball fans a 200% profit boost on any basketball market once you sign up. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during week four, bet $1 on them, and win $100 if they win. That's $1 to win $100 when you use promo code DNVR during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Profit boost terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Uh, next up, we're digging into positions. Um, well, one position, I guess. Uh, talking some buffs. And I was trying to figure out what to talk about today it's always like a tough decision and I had a couple of ideas I was thinking about the offensive line that today would be a good idea um, a good time to do that because that kind of was the story of the Utah game you know I, I think that if Steven Montez stays clean and obviously you clean up all the other issues things could have gone very differently in that game you know Colorado was in control. They, they won the first quarter 7-zip, and that's even with Dimitri Stanley muffing a punt and giving Utah the ball in plus field position. Just so many mistakes. So many mistakes, um, including some mistakes from the offensive line. Nobody had a great day on that offensive line. Uh, even Arlington Hambright got beat up, and he wound up to be an NFL draft pick. Uh, William Sherman, uh, he had to go up against uh, Lakai Fotu, who is now a Dallas Cowboy, and and he made some mistakes. That was a tough battle. Um, and so I did kind of want to talk about the offensive line, but there was something else that stood out to me. Um, it gave me some thoughts I kind of wanted to get off of my chest. We talked a lot about Brant Keithy and Cole Fotheringham, the uh, two tight ends, the two junior tight ends for Utah that I think will be kind of the keys to the offense this year. Well, 
the Buffs had a pretty solid outing from their own tight end in that game. Um, Brady Russell put up two touchdowns, and I like the way he did it. You know, it's tough to say what Brady Russell is um, because he fills so many different roles. And because when you look at him, you don't see a guy who you say like, oh, wow, that's going to be a deep threat or that's going to be a good possession tight end. He's going to box guys out or he's going to be a great blocker because, you know, he is only six foot three, which isn't like awful for a a tight end but you do kind of expect that as this t or as this position kind of moves toward the basketball type of athletes to go up and get it the power forwards brady russell is a bit of an outlier and the way he's used makes him even more so of an outlier um you know he isn't the widest he doesn't have like massive shoulders this is a lot of Brady Russell bashing I just realized but these aren't bad things I think that the question just is how do you use him because when he runs the ball he almost runs a little bit more like a fullback he plays a lot of his game almost more like a fullback but you don't see fullbacks who are six foot three and and he is one of these more hybrid type players who can play a bunch of different roles you know he isn't like you think of a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle as the top two tight ends in the NFL, and they're just these really big men with broad shoulders, and they're shaped like triangles, and you can lob a ball up to him and go get him. You know, Brady Russell isn't, like, chiseled in the way that some of those guys are. Um, I think that's what it is about him. But the way he plays kind of fits what he is. Um, he's crafty. He isn't somebody who, you know, like I said, he scored two touchdowns and on those two touchdowns, they weren't him running up the seam. They weren't him catching a ball 20 yards downfield because there was a gap in the seam because they're running cover three. He didn't like beat the linebacker in coverage and get over top of him and man coverage. Like it's nothing like that. And it isn't necessarily that he has like super sharp feet either, that he's running five yards and cutting in and off that cut, he's gathering separation. Like he just doesn't have all those things in his game right now and it's fine actually looking at i just pulled up his stats on my computer and cubuffs.com only credits him with one touchdown last season but i could swear he had two in that game um maybe one got called back and i just didn't notice but the way that he scores is by being an outlet not by running downfield as much as by his job being to go out in the flat, and if things go wrong, Steven Montez can get him the ball. And on one of the touchdowns, the way that that happened was just like that. They're eight yards maybe away from the end zone. Brady's out in the flat. There's a defender there, a couple steps in front of him, good defensive position, and Steven Montez is forced out of the pocket. And as Steven rolls out of the pocket toward Brady's side of the field, the defender 
charges and tries to bring him down. And Brady Russell takes a step or two back just to open up a little bit more space for himself, catches the ball and turns and gets upfield, scores the touchdown. That's what Brady Russell is or, or was as a receiver to this point. You know, there wasn't a lot of crossing routes where he's getting separation um, or any kinds of routes where he's getting a whole lot of separation. I think that with the new coach, uh, Taylor Embry, coaching the tight ends, there is the potential for him to develop more. What he is right now is is a very useful player in college football and in Pac-12 football for sure because he does do so many things. You can ask him to, to stay in and pass protect. And when he's done that, he's mostly been successful. You can ask him to be a run blocker. You can ask him to line up at fullback and be a lead blocker. So what you want to see is just one more tool as a weapon. Um, like I said, Brent Keithy, for example, a guy who I think is going to get drafted, he may be a kind of late round draft pick, and I don't think he's going to leave school early after this season, but there are different ways that he's used. You you could get him to the back of the end zone and throw him a ball, and he's going to get it. He did that against the Buffs. They got him the ball on the end around, and he got upfield and picked up 30, 40 yards, something like that. And he has that athleticism. He has that agility. It'd be really nice if Brady developed in one of those areas. And I think that that's very possible. And I think that, again, even if he doesn't, he is a valuable player for this offense because of what he is as a blocker and because of his feel for the game as an outlet when things go wrong. You know, Steven Montez rolled out of the pocket a lot. I think that you're going to see that same thing from Brendan Lewis. It... I'm trying to side. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I think that Brady Russell is going to be used pretty heavily if Brendan Lewis is the quarterback, just because of his ability to be that outlet player in this offense. Um, the Buffs running backs haven't shown all that much as receivers so far. I think that you could look at any of them with Jaron Mangum probably having the toughest time um, and and say, I could see how they'd become a better receiver. But right now, I think that Brady Russell has to be the best outlet option on this offense, and I think he's only going to be getting better. Um, yeah, I'll, st- I'll stand by that. So... Brady was targeted 30 times and he caught 23 passes. Of those 30 targets, 25 of them were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And only four of those were incomplete. Um, According to Pro Football Focus, there were three targets between uh, 10 yards and 20 yards downfield. Three targets. One of those was a touchdown. Two of those were interceptions. 20 yards plus, uh, there were two targets. He caught one of them. 
So you really do see that he is not being used going downfield at all. Um, but he's not necessarily a bad athlete. He isn't a plus athlete. And if he's going up against somebody like, you know, Javon Holland, who's still probably sitting out for Oregon, but he's a guy we've talked about a little bit on this podcast. I don't think that you want Brady Russell going downfield. And if you do, the thought might just be get Javon Holland out of the play. But you would really like to see your number one tight end get more than three targets, or I guess what, more than five targets once every other week, I guess, a little bit more than once every other week, more than 10 yards downfield. Ideally, you get him one of those every game. But he is good at what he does. And when they've used him as that little outlet underneath, when they've kept him close to the line of scrimmage, he's been successful. The question is, as a receiver and as an offensive weapon in general, can he build just a little bit more athleticism, more, or, or even route running? There are different ways you could go about it, but just find a way to get open downfield. Um, I think that's probably enough about Brady. I really like Brady Russell as a football player. I really think that he's going to be an important piece of this offense. I think he's going to move around a lot and fill a bunch of different roles. The more he can add as a receiver, the better things are going to go in all of those roles, though. Um, in all of those roles. Just running through this roster of tight ends behind him, um, Luke Stillwell, Matt Lynch, Jake Peters, Nick Fisher, Jared Poplowski, CJ uh, Schmansky, Luis Passarello, um, Poplowski is out for the year with the torn ACL. And uh, it's going to be tough to see what this line or what this depth chart looks like. Um, Brady Russell's the number one. He's a clear number one. That will not change. Right behind him, Matt Lynch, uh, the uh, grad transfer from UCLA, went to Legacy High School. Um, more experienced guys like uh, Jake Peters, uh, who transferred from Arizona. Um, behind them, I guess Nick Fisher. You have the uh, graduate transfer from William Jewell. CJ Smansky's a sophomore. Luis Passarello's a freshman. I don't see... Oh, there's Caleb Foria. I, I totally missed him. I scrolled through the wrong spot. There we go. Caleb Foria, a freshman. He, to me, is the future of this tight end position. And there are other guys in this group who you could talk yourself into um, or not even need to talk yourself into, but you're willing to say, okay, Luis Passarello, I will sit down. Luis Passarello... I want to watch you play football because I am excited to watch you play football. You know, but Caleb Foria and the Foria name certainly helps. Should be a, a solid receiving threat at tight end in the future. They have him listed at 230 pounds. It's a little light for a tight end. Could be worse though. I don't think we see a lot of him this year. Even though everybody does get the, uh, everybody does get the. Uh, extra year of eligibility. So this year doesn't count for eligibility for anybody. If the guy's the best player, you play him. And that's going to be true at every position on this team. I really don't know what to expect from these tight ends. On the depth chart uh, that was released at the beginning of June, like they call it the pencil depth chart, 
Um, it doesn't mean nearly as much as the post-spring practice depth chart typically does just because obviously there was no spring practice and there was a coaching change and uh, that meant that there's a new offensive coordinator, new head coach, new tight ends coach, and so there aren't a whole lot of guys on the coaching staff who have spent time with these tight ends, especially when you consider that Luke Stillwell and Matt Lynch are those tight ends. Matt Lynch, who transferred in uh, from UCLA, Stillwell, who's been in the program a year after transferring in from Kilgore Community College. Um, so you have to take everything on that depth chart with a grain of salt. Tight ends, probably more so than any other position, except maybe quarterback. So keep that in mind. But Luke Stillwell was listed number two, uh, which is interesting. He was a dual-threat quarterback in high school, um, very good athlete, couldn't get a quarterback spot, uh, went to Kilgore, changed to tight end, and uh, wound up at Colorado. So you expect him to be a good athlete. Um, he's, what, 6'4", 220 is what he's listed at. So we'll see what exactly he um, can bring to the table. Um, but somebody I'm excited to see. I can say that for sure. He'll be wearing number 25. Uh, Matt Lynch, um, also a former quarterback. He was a quarterback at UCLA. Um, he switched to tight end. Now he's at Colorado, 6'5", 245. Uh, he was listed as a pro-style quarterback. Um just reading through the bio on cubuffs.com. Um, his uncle went to CSU and then went to the NFL, um, played for a few teams, seven-year career. His grandfather uh, played for the Broncos for nine years, 1967 to 1976. So good genes. He was a pro-style quarterback, not sure about the athleticism, Um you know, he, he played quarterback in one game, completed two or three passes for 11 yards and a touchdown, also ran twice for 15 yards. Um, we don't really know. Scout team quarterback. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, I think that either one of those guys have a pretty good shot at being a solid number two tight end, um, maybe different styles of tight end, and maybe some of the guys behind him will push him too. Um, the one thing you do know is that you have Brady Russell and he is a weapon in the Pac-12. Not sure if he translates to the NFL, really don't think so. But with Taylor Embry as the tight ends coach, you know that he is going to be as polished as he can be. And if he does have a chance, um, he will make the most of it. With the combination of him and Taylor Embry, I'm confident of that. Um, he provides a lot of things. The one thing he doesn't provide is what the NFL is looking for most, which is... You know, big-time athleticism, um, size, being kind of that, like, stallion type of prospect that can rip up the seam and go up and bring down jump balls like their rebounds. And Brady Russell isn't that type of tight end, and uh, at least he isn't right now. We'll see if they can get him involved downfield a little bit more. Um, I, I, I'm not... He's one of the guys on this team that I just will not doubt. Um, I think probably a favorite to be a captain. Um, I think that that would be a good role for him. 
Um, I'm not in the locker room, but from my interactions, that'd be uh, my suggestion. Who would the captains be? I don't know. I'll leave that one up to you guys. Who are the captains on the Buffs this year? Um, two offense, two defense, one special teams, let's say. Um, curious what you all think. I'll think about it too, and we'll get back to it tomorrow. Uh, checking for comments. Um, while I do that, I should say that uh, there are big things happening in the Colorado rugby space, and now we can spill the details. DNVR is now covering all things rugby in Colorado and the United States. Reporter Colton Strickler is keeping you up to date on all things American rugby with the DNVR Rugby Podcast, and you can find his written rugby content right on our site with the rest of our coverage. It was just announced that Infinity Park in Glendale will be the new official training center for the men's and women's USA Eagles 15s teams. That means that Colorado is the place to be for rugby in the United States. Make sure you are keeping up to speed with us and with Colton on the DNVR Rugby Podcast. Support the sport of rugby by following along with the latest news on Twitter at DNVR Rugby. Download the DNVR Rugby Podcast. This is the perfect time to learn the game of rugby. Our guy Colton is doing basic 101 pods to break down the game for you, and they are incredible. Colton also brings you exclusive one-on-one interviews with some of the biggest names in American rugby. Remember, supporting our partners is supporting us. So download the DNVR Rugby Podcast and follow along at DNVR Rugby on Twitter. Doesn't look like there are any comments. I guess nobody had any thoughts on, uh, what was yesterday, Arizona State or uh, the Buffs DBs. But maybe you'll have some Brady Russell thoughts um, or some Utah thoughts because technically they're the rival. Sure. Um, That's going to do it for today. As always, if you have any thoughts, any questions, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about if you just go to the post for today's show at thednvr.com and leave a comment. I will read it tomorrow if it's a question. I'll give you an answer. If it's a comment, then I'll tell you why you're wrong or why you're right or be really scared because a lot of things we can't just all be talking about right now. Um, So, yeah, let's get out of here. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the DMVR Buffs podcast presented by Green Mountain Dental Group. I think they like my Colorado sway Cause when I'm in it play I don't really, I don't really know just how to act And when I'm in it go You know I'm acting bad Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway My Colorado sway My Colorado sway I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway My Colorado sway Patiently awaiting When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid Cause you know we finna hit ya, hit ya, hit ya You on your own now, why you watching the official? You just better hope you make it to the next whistle And we ain't playing with you, you can get it anytime It started at the scrimmage, we gon' win it at the line My Colorado swag in the middle Colorado swag, my Colorado